And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Saturday, May 20th. And this weekend, we are airing an interview that I did with CBS News's chief Washington correspondent, Major Garrett. Major has a multi-platform interview show called The Takeout Multi-Platform because it's on radio stations, it's a podcast, it's on YouTube, it's it's on all sorts of places. So you can check out The Takeout wherever you get your podcast. Major asked me to come on the program to do a little bit of a, um, a recap of the economy and the Federal Reserve meeting. And then also we did a little extra interview about my book and some other trends that we were seeing. So today we're going to air the first part of the interview um, with Major Garrett, and we're focusing on big picture economic issues. Now, one thing that's kind of funny about Major's show, The Takeout, is that um, he does broadcast it at a restaurant. It's usually in Washington, D.C., but um, for this interview, we were at Junior's, which is a fun little diner restaurant, retro diner in Midtown Manhattan. That's why you're going to hear a lot of background noise. I had just had a delicious um, matzo ball soup and half a turkey sandwich just to put a plug in there for juniors. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. It was amazing, actually. So anyway, that's the background noise. Here is Major's interview with me, Jill, on his show, The Takeout. Welcome to Juniors in New York. Welcome to one of our all-time favorites on this show, Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst. She has a new book. You can read the title, The Great Money Reset, The Fine Print, Change Your Work, Change Your Wealth, Change Your Life. Jill, great to see you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy you're here in New York. Isn't it great to be in person? It's amazing. I just had a little soup, half sandwich. I'm feeling good. Yes, we feed our guests intermittently here at The Takeout. Jill, what's the book about? So uh, this book is an outgrowth of my podcast, my radio show. What's the name and of the podcast? We'll the name of the make... podcast is Jill on Money. There's also a podcast called Money Watch with Jill Schlesinger. That's and there's right. a radio show called Jill on Money. We do a lot of podcast and radio show cross-pollination here at the, ti- at the that, takeout. Yeah. You know, listen, I think that um, what I had found is this is a personal finance podcast. We mm-hmm. had, were dropping episodes twice a week before the pandemic. 
And that really as March of the pandemic rolled around in 2020, things were so scary. Mm -hmm. People were absolutely apoplectic about what was going on in the economy and they were scared. And we got inundated with emails. We got inundated with questions. What do I do about this? How about that? How do I access the PPP? How do I file for unemployment? I never had unemployment before. All these like actual on the ground questions that are tough. So uh, my producer, Mark Talercio, the wonderful best executive producer in the world, we're talking and I said, I think we're going to have to go to a daily podcast for the time being. Mm -hmm. So on March 14th, we started a daily podcast and we have continued to do so. And interesting, after a few months of the pandemic, a lot of people started to ask different kinds of questions. Uh, Those questions were a bit more existential. You know, I'm sitting here at home Mm. with my family. I'm working really hard and I'm wondering, is this really the way I want to live? And these larger questions inspired the book. These conversations I was having with people about how they wanted to make larger changes in their lives, but they wanted to do so without blowing up their finances. Mm -hmm. So this book is a guide to anyone who is contemplating a change or depending on where you are in your career. Maybe it's an off-ramp of a current career, trying to go to another type of career. Maybe it's starting a business. Maybe it's closing a business. But what I'm trying to do is give people some help in framing a conversation, understanding your choices, and knowing that it's not all or nothing. There are a lot of choices in between. And if we can do that, I feel like we've succeeded. And and I think this is a really interesting time, especially as the economy is shifting. When you describe these questions that you got in the sort of second stage of this as existential, would one of them writ large be, is this all there is? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's especially something you and I are about the same age. Mm -hmm. And we found a lot of, um, I think a lot of people that we know who are in our age group, who are maybe in their 50s and approaching 60s and maybe thinking, I'm not really ready to retire, but I I need another act. And how do I do that? And with the younger people, it was really interesting. I was getting a ton of people who were saying, well, you know, is it possible that I've chosen the wrong path? How do I get off a path that I've chosen? And I think that's really hard when you're in your 30s and your 40s, if you've devoted yourself to something. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a journalist. And I really don't know how to make my next step. So I think that these are really important questions. Listen, some of the questions were about, you know, should I leave my spouse? Yep. And what does that mean? And Mm -hmm. how am I going to manage? my life. I found this, you know, I'm a voyeur. You know that. That's what we do. Uh, We're observers, but the other word is voyeur. Yeah, I'm a voyeur. And I may be a subject matter expert in that, you know, I'm a certified financial planner and I cover the economy, but mostly I'm interested in people's stories. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated to hear how people were describing what they were going through. And I was really honored that people were sort of saying, hey, Aunt Jill, help me out here. Help a brother, help a sister out. Did the pandemic break some people? I think it broke down some of the preconceived notions that many people have. I think that the pandemic was, um, it was so life-altering. There are a million of our country people who were dying. It was scary. I think it made us think, you know, maybe I do want to live closer to my aging parents. This was really too much. Uh, It may have been a a case where people said, I'm experiencing a life outside of my metropolitan center Mm -hmm. that is really important. Because some people relocated. Many people relocated. And many people, when they were called back to work, said, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't really want to do that. Do you think that's permanent? Do you feel that there's no absolute answer to that? But what's your intuition? I think it depends on the industry. Okay. I think that it's very difficult to pound your fist on the desk 
if you're a senior leader of an organization and say, you must come to work because otherwise our productivity will suffer. Mm. Productivity did not suffer. No. It did not. I do think there is something to be said for, you know what, we're in the office and different things happen in the office. You know, when we were in a full newsroom, there were certainly times where you're bouncing ideas off each other. Relentlessly. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't, maybe that part doesn't work quite as well. But listen, I know. But as you know and I know, Jill, our news network is functioning and there are not nearly as many people around. We are functioning at high levels every day with, I don't know what the percentage is, but it is not an inconsiderable percentage of people who are not in the office. They're on Zoom. Yeah, and I think that they're. Even in this high touch, highly collaborative, highly interactive, day to day talk back and forth. I think that way when, of doing business. I, I think it really requires a big shift, and I think it it, it also requires an uh, adaptability. Mm-hmm. And I think I learn a lot from the younger people that we work with, the younger people who call my shows, mm-hmm. and really point to me and be like, "Okay, Boomer, like pipe yeah. down with your like, oh yeah, we all need to be together." Because listen, you know what we also learned? And this was a real big lesson for me that mm-hmm. a lot of people said to me, women, people of color. They were like, you know all that rah-rah baloney that we do with work? Like, let's go out for drinks. I never really felt like that was for me. Mm. I felt left out of that. I felt like I was marginalized if I didn't do that. So in a weird way, the pandemic was a a way to see those people differently. And I thought that was really important. A refreshing reset, at least on that scale. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in the place we're in now, we are about, give or take, Eight to ten months from the pandemic's ravages, generally speaking, are you surprised at where the economy is? Uh, I'm surprised of the resilience of the jobs market right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Frankly, um, you know, I'm talking to you. We've had a jobs report for the month of March where there were a couple hundred thousand jobs right. created. I mean, there's sort of this seismic change in the labor force that occurred, and we bounced back pretty strong. And it is surprising that you can have the inflation rate remain pretty high, Mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve raising interest rates by 500 basis points or almost 5% in the course of 12 months, the fastest rate hike campaign since the early 80s. And that we are not actually plunging into a recession. It's shocking, actually. And I wouldn't be surprised if we enter in a recession because when the Fed raises rates by this much, this quickly, a recession often ensues. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us should be surprised if that were to occur. Let's talk, Jill, candidly about the Federal Reserve. Okay, let's. It's easy to throw darts at the Federal Reserve, especially at a time like this. But it seems like, from my vantage point... Many of those darts are justified. Too late, too much, not paying attention to data that was evident earlier, using language that created an expectation, all of that. Probably more. Yeah, I mean, look, the Federal Reserve is filled with human beings, right? Mm -hmm. Federal Reserve officials are actually human beings. So are the vast staffs that help prepare their economic data. I think one big issue that occurred at the Fed was there's something called recency bias. Mm -hmm. That your brain is sort of hardwired to focus on the thing that just happened and that informs what your next course of action will be. So if we wind back the clock 
and we say, what happened after the great financial crisis and the great recession, 2008 and nine? What we found was that the Federal Reserve slashed rates, mm-hmm. kept rates low, then slowly started to increase rates. The Federal Reserve was actually criticized at that time for raising rates. Right, I remember that. And the reason was, well, listen, when we finally were getting all these jobs back, that's when you raised rates, and that really hurt the middle to lower income Americans, that they couldn't get back on their feet quickly enough. And I think that in this iteration, the Fed was very worried that it would be punishing people at the lower to middle end of the earning spectrum by starting to raise rates too quickly. Okay, that's there. That's where I give you the little bit of right, ease. and it added that sensitivity to their calculations in Absolutely. a policy statement that was brand new, kind of. Absolutely, and and they really were trying to focus on a broader definition of what is this Federal Reserve's job, what is what are we supposed to do? So, what does the Fed do? The Fed is basically the central bank. The first job is to have financial stability. Okay, right. so. We kind of hope that there's no runs on banks Mm -hmm. and we got to make sure we're the lender of last resort. We want to make sure there's not too much inflation. We don't want to have too little inflation and we want there to be a vibrant labor market so that anyone who wants a job can get a job. All those things work together and sometimes have uh, a more important um, focus for the Fed. So I think in the pandemic, the right move was slashing rates, buying bonds, making sure the systems worked. But you have to remember that something very different happened in this most recent recession. The pandemic recession lasted a whole two months, then happened with the Great Recession. And that is we had a convergence. We had not only the Fed slashing rate and buying bonds, but in this time around, we actually had a lot of fiscal stimulus. We lots had Lots and lots and lots. Right? So Checks we had, in the mail, we had, PPP loans. And we had that. It was bipartisan, by the yep. way. Oh, yeah, so Everybody wanted the money to flow. So you push all the money in the system really fast, Mm -hmm. and lo and behold, you can get inflation. Okay, so there are a few things about the pandemic that made our inflation story worse. Not only did we push a ton of money into the system, but then we had bottlenecks because they were rolling blackouts of like the ability for manufacturers to produce goods. And we had different countries on lockdowns at different times. And then on top of that, we had the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. Put that together. Okay, it's extraordinary. By the, let's call it the spring of 2021, there were early calls that we're seeing inflation. In the fall of 2021, a lot of people like me were running around saying, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. We, where we, are the ratings? Let's increases. go. Where, yeah. where are we going? And then it wasn't until March of right. 2022 that we got the rate hike campaign beginning. And they, because they got a late start, the they Fed had to go faster. Really fast. Yeah. And so what I would say to you is this. I think the Fed retrospectively would look back and say, oh, you know what? We should have started sooner. Mm-hmm. I think that the cop out a little bit is that they mismanaged this in the public also. Because what did they really do? They said it's all temporary. Mm-hmm. And that's it was hard to keep saying that. And I'm not sure why they said that. Yeah. And I think that's a big problem. Going forward, the Fed has a real issue on its hands because, you know, if inflation's still running at 5% and they want to get it to 2%, they might say, well, we need to raise rates by another quarter. Right. Okay, but maybe this all acts with a lag. 
inflation's already coming down. Okay, mm-hmm. the story's already done. We we've jammed up in interest rates. The economy's slowing down, and to some extent, the big the big issue I have with the Fed is not necessary. They they started late, but then again, when the moment where they could have stopped right after Silicon Valley Bank, right. the fact that they went by a quarter seemed asinine to me, frankly. Mm-hmm. I really could not understand. Why wouldn't you just pause and see how that goes? So I think the Fed is um, always under pressure. Uh, I don't wish that job on anyone, Mm -hmm. but if they all want that job, then they sometimes have to do the things that are hard. And I think they may be weighing the inflation issue more strongly this moment Mm -hmm. than whether or not they want the economy to be vibrant enough to create jobs. If you can, help my listeners and viewers understand, when you talk about buying bonds, what effect does that have on the economy? People hear bonds, they have a, I think they have a better sense of what stocks do. Yeah. But I think, I, even I'm still, I've read and read, I still am confused about bonds, yield curves, their relationship to day-to-day life. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not easy to explain, but if you can, take a swing at it. So let's just think about what a bond is. Mm-hmm. A bond is an IOU. It's a loan. Okay. Okay? So if I buy a bond from the United States government, okay. a treasury bill, I plunk down $10,000. I say, here you go, government. Hang on to my money for a year. And the government says, thank you so very much. Right. Here's the interest that we'll pay you in return. Okay. And when they, um, when when I do that, I'm making a bet on maybe general interest rates where they're going to go, and bond prices can fluctuate from the day I buy it to the day I get my money back from the government, depending on what's happening with interest rates. Well, the government can go off, and the Federal Reserve can go off and actually buy bonds as well. And when they buy bonds, they're pushing money in. Like I'm now the government. I say, Major, I'm going to buy that bond from you. Now you have my money. Mm-hmm. And when I buy your bond, when I buy a bond and I say, you know, here's the money, ostensibly the government wants you to do something with that. Gotcha. That excess liquidity in the system is money that recirculates through the economy and spurs economic growth. That's on a teeny tiny scale. But if that happens in a huge way where the government's buying billions and billions of dollars of government bonds, of mortgage-backed securities, it creates liquidity, money. Right. And then that money has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. When interest rates are really low and the government's buying bonds, the people who have the money, a hedge fund, a pension fund, an investment bank, they got to do something with the money. And you know, when interest rates are really low, they start to take risks and they start to buy other stuff. Now, they may invest in cool companies. Right. They may create jobs. They may build factories. All that stuff can happen. You know, if you're Mark Zuckerberg and your stock is going up, 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 and you say, I just have to, like, staff up to maybe... Uh, prepare for the next stage of growth there because money is so cheap because you can get money so easily you that money is deployed Mm -hmm. so it is often said that a low interest rate environment can sow the seeds of the next crash meaning if the money is so available and it has to go somewhere right because eventually it's going to get more expensive. And when it gets more expensive, you have a shock of some kind. Exactly. And, and if you really think about it, when you have only the alternative of buying a risky asset to create return, you start swinging even more so, farther and farther out to the fences. So what do I mean by that? If you're a, a venture capital company, you might say, here's a great business. I'm going to throw some money at it. Why not? 
what's the difference? Here's a less good company. Eh, what the heck? Money's earning me zero anyway. Right. I might as well just put some money See in there. See what happens. And that kind of acceleration in the technology sector mm-hmm. led to the technology sector peaking in the fall of 2021, only to see things change as the Federal Reserve started to raise interest rates. And all of a sudden there was an alternative. Hey, wait, I could put money over here and make some interest and I could be safe. And maybe these companies aren't going to grow forever. And what does happen to a company? So there comes the retrenchment. Exactly. And in that retrenchment, as anyone knows who knows anything about economies, when there's a retrenchment, somebody feels the pain. Okay, we're going to air part two of our interview uh, tomorrow. But if you have questions about your own financial life, queue up, baby. Just go to JillOnMoney.com, click the Contact Us button. Don't forget to check the box that says you'd be willing to come on the air live. We need that. Mark does all the work for you. And you can also, on the website, sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Don't forget, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really does help lift someone up, change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 